Unpopular opinion, but unpopular opinion. Unpopular opinion. Unpopular opinion. You're listening to Unpopular Opinion, a podcast for professionals from all walks of life who want to hear success stories from innovators who've won by taking the path less traveled. In each episode, recovering journalist and content marketer Ashley Amber Saba interviews individuals who have prospered thanks to their genuinely unpopular opinions, despite warnings from naysayers, threats to their careers, and colossal obstacles. All rebels are welcome. Welcome to the debut of Unpopular Opinion. I'm your host, Ashley Saba, and this episode is brought to you by Audience Ops. Audience Ops is a done-for-you content-led growth agency that offers content strategy, blog posts, case studies, and full-service podcast production for podcasts for professionals who want to put together something like this one. Today, I'm joined by Ashley Foss. Ashley is a marketer, writer, and speaker by day, and a singer, actor, and fitness fiend by night. She currently works at Atlassian as a director of integrated product marketing. Ashley, welcome to the show. Hey, good to be here, Ashley. I'm very excited about our uh, two Ashleys in a podcast. I feel like there's a joke in there somewhere. What the pod, like 2P and the pod kind of a thing. Yeah, yeah. Except like two Ashleys in a podcast or something. It feels like we could make this thing. Maybe this is our unpopular opinion is that everything should be two Ashleys in a podcast. I mean, we could, we could go with that. I bet we could find a couple of other people to join and we can just kind of have a Ashley pod podcast. <laughs> oh gosh. Oh gosh. Too many puns. The, the, the mean tweets write themselves, right? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Um, just to get opened up um, with your, um, with your unpopular opinion, you have a unique perspective on launching new marketing tactics or channels you believe you don't need a plan or experience before getting going on them. Can you elaborate a little bit more on that? Yeah. So I actually um, kind of formulated or formulated this opinion um, that is quite unpopular, especially among other marketers, because we're frequently told that everyone can do marketing, right? Like I feel like people give input on marketing plans more than probably any other profession. Like everybody thinks they're a marketer. And so for a marketer to come out and say, actually, you don't really need a plan or experience to be successful launching a new marketing tactic or channel. People are like, what? No. Um, but I actually came to this conclusion when I launched, um, I brought live streaming, social live streaming to four different companies now. And each time I kind of showed up and was like, you know, we should really do some live streaming. Okay, here we go. We're going live now. And like that was kind of the plan. Um, and it actually worked out well. And so I think that um, the thing I will caveat my unpopular opinion with is that this does not mean you don't need deep expertise on your audience, deep expertise in other channels or other marketing strategies. You know, you have to have some foundational skills and knowledge. This isn't you can go out and wing it at all. It's that you don't have to spend all these months buttoning everything up and putting in place a specific plan and testing and trying and bringing in consultants for expertise. It's like, you don't have to do all of that. Like sometimes you can just hit the go live button and start live streaming. Yeah. And I think people are uncomfortable with that because they're afraid that they might not take off or that they'll be held accountable if it isn't immediately off the bat, but, um, I do, I do like that take. Can you kind of catch me up on your um, work history and how that ties in with your take? Sure. So I've had a pretty winding history, um, in terms of, you know, my path through marketing. So I did study marketing. I'm, I'm probably also one of the few people that majored in marketing in college and then immediately got a job in marketing afterwards. Um, but 
I started in solar. I've worked in aviation. I've worked in a communication design and training firm. I was in two security startups prior to coming to Atlassian. And I'm now in my third team at Atlassian. And I would say fourth role. Um, I've been, you know, running some new things in the team that I'm in right now. And so it's been kind of a winding path. And so because of that, um, I have often been on much smaller teams. And so I've kind of had to be you know, it's like, if you're the only marketer, you have to figure it out. Everyone comes to you for everything. Every harebrained idea that they mm -hmm. hear out in the world comes to you. And it's like, I heard this, should we do this? And it's like, well, I don't know if we should do this. Like, you know, do we need a podcast? Do we need to be on TikTok? You know, what we should really be doing is running ads. And I'm like, we should buy a Super Bowl commercial. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> we are, you know, a five person solar startup uh, in 2008 where we don't know, we don't need to be running like, advertising campaigns for the Super Bowl, right? We we don't even have, have the logistics uh, and operational savvy to meet that kind of demand, even if we could create it, right? So I think that, that that has tied into my willingness to try new things and be less concerned about failure because in the past, when I was on such small teams or I was the only marketer, failure was inevitable because like you just can't know everything as a single marketer. And especially early in your career, you can't know everything, you know, you can't succeed in every single thing. So I think that was one thing. I think the second piece of that is that I did it once and it worked. And so the next company, when I came in and I was like, eh, they don't have this. Well, it worked last time. I guess we could try it this time. And it worked again. And I was like, maybe this is a thing that actually works. Right. So that learning by doing, um, that also helped me build confidence so that by the time I brought it to Atlassian, it was not quite so crazy and maybe not quite so fair to be like, okay, but you did actually kind of have a plan because you've done it in the past. Uh, but in terms of, you know, the structure and the metrics and the repeatable processes and a scalable process, like I still don't have that. Um, and when teams come to me and ask me internally, they're like, Hey, can you send over the plan for this? And I'm like, no, cause I don't, didn't really write down a plan. I just kind of did it. Uh, so that is something I, I am also working on um, is that documentation piece. Oh yeah, definitely. And I think anybody who has been on a one um, person marketing team or a content team can kind of relate to you on a lot of that, especially a lot of the, all of the ideas coming at you and having to figure out like, number one, you don't have the bandwidth to do them all. You can't right. do them all. And number two, for whatever it is, people think that everybody thinks that they're a content expert or a marketing expert or a social media expert. And you don't find that in a lot of the other departments. So it's a little bit more of a unique kind of um, a situation there. Um, yeah. You often kind of hear a version of what you're talking about and they might call it like, you have to iterate or you have to fail fast, but who knows what that even really means. But what's your take on like that, your approach being a little bit more tactical than just doing that? I think often fail fast ends up still getting stuck in the planning phase. And I see this a lot, especially at, you know, now that I'm at bigger companies or in a bigger company and a bigger team. And even with some of my friends at big companies where um, the like fail fast almost gets stuck in the planning phase where somebody will put out this grand vision of like, what if in five years we're this person? And then they do this whole work back plan for, you know, quarterly and monthly. And so tomorrow we will do the pilot. And then like, they only gave you like one week for a pilot. And you're like, guys, 
you just put out this grand vision. You spent, you spent six months planning the five-year vision and you only get one to two weeks for a pilot. Well, you know, we got to fail fast. Hey, but that's not, that's not failing fast. That's not starting. That's not giving it a chance to work. So I think, I think that's one big mindset shift. I'm not suggesting that you do one live stream and then you're done. And if the live streaming didn't garner all of the, you know, high fancy metrics that you want, cool, just kill it. And now you failed fast. It's like, no, the plan is to get faster at the execution and say, okay, realistically, how much do we actually need to be able to launch this channel? And in the case of a live stream, most companies already have, you know, social media presence. They've already got Twitter. They've already got YouTube. They've already got LinkedIn. Most of them probably have someone that can speak because they've got people out there doing press or talking to conferences or doing webinars. Okay. They probably have some topics that they want to talk about because again, marketers like to come up with topics in an editorial calendar. So they've got the foundation. And so if you think about what if we just try four live streams and we say, Hey, we're going to, you know, for the month of June, every Thursday, we're going to go live and it's going to be with this person. And they're basically going to talk about this thing that they just wrote an article on. And we're just going to kind of see how it goes, right? That to me is a lot more fail fast or iterate than taking five or six months to lay out this huge plan and then work back plan and all of this. And then once you actually launch, you kill it before it even has a chance to get started. I think that is a huge point. Um, I've been in a lot of um, startups now in marketing and they'll give a couple of weeks even occasionally for like a new tactic. And they're like, eh, nothing's happening now. We'll just, we'll just be done with that one and on to the next thing. And you're like, wait, we just planned that for half a year. And then yeah. we executed on it for a month and now just you're killing it before yeah. it even had an opportunity to take off. Yeah. Well, and I think that the other thing too, is like sometimes being, and this is a bigger thing that I think is a conversation for our cross marketing of, you know, the attribution, attribution of the metrics, like for a long time, the saying was, you know, oh, I waste half my advertising budget, but I just don't know which half. And now, you know, <laughs> MarTech came in and it's like, we'll tell you every little thing. And so if it can't be measured in exactly the way that you think it should be, or all the way, like measuring every little nitty gritty thing that it's not worth doing. And I think that's the other thing is that sometimes when, when you do sit down and you over plan, you lay out all of these specific metrics that may not actually be appropriate for that content or for that channel. And that content in that channel could potentially drive something else that's really valuable, but it gets stuck in whatever is the easiest thing to measure. So in the case of live streaming, obviously one of the easiest things to measure, and it seems like a valuable thing to measure is, um, you know, live viewers, how many people actually tuned in live? Well, the nice thing about social live streaming is it automatically posts to your feed and it lives there once you finish the live stream. So it doesn't actually matter that much how many people tune in live because they can watch it on demand automatically, right? As an example. And so I've seen, I've seen, um, and I've seen this with my own programs where people get really upset of like, oh, there were only like 10 people live. And I'm like, just give it 24 hours. And then you see it skyrocket because people watch it on demand. And we don't think that, we don't, we don't think so skeptically about like webinars, for example. Yes, we do want to look at registrations and attendance rate and how many people stay but we also look at on-demand views. So that's just one way where I think 
looking at those metrics. The other piece of it with live is the opportunity for people to actually engage with the person. So for example, we've done a number of ask me anything sessions in our community in writing. And so an easy thing to translate into a live stream is an ask me anything that's live. And now we've, we've started that, right? So maybe it's not about peak live viewers. Maybe it's actually about the quantity and quality of questions that come through in the chat. Right. So there's a lot of different ways that you could measure it that if you're not careful, you fall into this trap of focusing in on potentially the wrong thing or missing out on an area that you could lean into. Um, and again, that iteration, if you go in without such rigid goals, you can move faster if you're like, oh, actually, this portion worked out really well. Maybe we do a whole episode in this style, like the AMA type of style or the the rant style versus like very buttoned up and I will now present to you. Right. Definitely. I love that. Um, and definitely relatable to me in my job too. Um, yeah. do you have a moment or a project in time that like kind of is a pinpoint that sticks out to you when this was very effective for you that you were like, from now on, I want to keep executing the way that I'm doing this, maybe teach other people to do it too. Yeah. So I've always been a little bit more of the um, kind of go rogue where I'm like, I don't know, why can't we do this? Or like, I don't know, I can just do it. Right. Um, <laughs> but I actually think and I'll, I'll keep us in the live streaming journey because I actually think this was kind of the light bulb moment where I'm like, wait a minute, if you build up some adjacent knowledge and adjacent skills, you can apply that more broadly. So when I brought live streaming to um, Duarte, actually, I had heard about Periscope. This was like, almost a decade ago at this point. Um, and I was like, I don't really know. Like, isn't it It's kind of just filming? I don't get it. But like, okay, apparently this is a thing, right? And I was like, maybe we should do this. And so I was actually, I had gone into Nancy Duarte's office and I was like, yeah, so we're going to do it from your Twitter account and it's called Periscope. And she had pulled it up and she was like, okay, so what do I do? So all I have to do is just like hold the phone. And then uh -huh. I just hit the go live <laughs> button and she hit the button and she was like, it says it's recording should I do something? So she turns her phone around to me and I take her phone. And I'm like, well, new plan. Hi, everyone. Like Nancy and I were talking about going live and now we're live. So we are off the cuff. Do a little, yeah. Like off the cuff. I was like, we're going to do a little tour of Nancy's office. She happened to have, um, she was working on her next book. So she had this massive, like, uh, wall of book content. And so I was like, okay, Nancy, like show us your office and then tell me like, New, new plan. We're doing a little sneak peek of the book. Like, how is your next book coming? And so she like did a whole thing. And again, she is great. She has excellent energy on camera. She knows her subject matter. She is totally fine with like, as soon as she realized she had done that, she was like, Hey everyone, I accidentally hit the go live button. So now we're going live now. Like she was totally fine. Right. And the fact that I got lucky enough to have somebody who hit the go live button and was like, okay, we're doing this now. She went on that journey with me. And I think that was something where she and I had built that relationship where she had the confidence that she could turn the phone around and be like, I don't know, you need to fix this. And I had the confidence to be like, you know what? New plan. <laughs> we're going live. Right. And I think that that I, I would say is something that really stuck with me about the preparation is in building that trust. It's in building the brand. It's in understanding your expertise, your craft, your audience, if you have all of that, that can often be a big 
buffer in the amount of planning and workbacks and laying out every deliverable and putting out all of the deadlines and making a perfect, you know, Gantt chart or roadmap or something like that. And so I think that was the moment that for me that I was like, all right, I always need to work with leaders who will absolutely hit the go line button and just roll with it, you know? I love that. That that is an amazing point. I think that a lot of my um, most exciting conversations and engagements have been when I didn't have a plan and we just chatted and it just, yeah. that's kind of, I think the pressure is off in a lot of ways too. And you just kind of have to go, you have knowledge. And yeah. if you have deep knowledge, then even if you haven't planned everything out, usually you'll be able to kind of carry um, yourself through that. I think. Yeah. What are the biggest advantages you think on dwelling um, less on just planning and more on execution? I think the biggest thing is learning quickly. So in the planning stages, everything is theoretical. It's what could go right, what could go wrong, how might we execute, um, what might we learn, what might we measure. It's all theoretical. Once you actually get in and you start executing, you know how it's going to go. You have the metrics. You have all the awkward pauses. You have the realization that, you know, again, if I were to stick with the live streaming, like I've been in um, video shoots, for example, where we've paid, you know, tens of thousands of dollars to bring in a whole crew and to set everything up and it's just perfect. And it turns out that the person that we've asked to be on camera is actually terrible on camera. Like we had a customer story. This was years ago. We had, you know, we were doing a whole shoot. We could not get them to say the company name. They, they just like wouldn't do it. They were like, you did this and y'all did this and you helped me. And we were like, I need you to say the company name. Just, just say the name. And they could, they couldn't do it. Right. I had another one where same thing, like we, you know, it was like several days of shoots and this person was so bad on camera. Like they, they kept staring at the camera and being like, yes, we will then do this thing. And it was very nice. And that, and I was like, this is so bad. And all the coaching and it was so bad, right? Like Imagine if you had spent tens of thousands of dollars and that was the energy that you were getting on camera versus that willingness to iterate and be like, hey, we're just going to like grab a couple clips and you can start to see, does somebody have good hosting energy? Can they talk off the cuff? Are they good on camera? Do they draw the audience in? Okay, now maybe spend your tens of thousands of dollars with, with that person as the host of whatever this thing is. And the same is true for content, right? Like, I post, um, I test a lot of things on LinkedIn before I turn them into a pitch for a conference or a pitch for, um, you know, I, when I get invited on podcasts, I'm like, what do you want to talk about? Right. I go back to the things that I know have resonated with my audience in the past. And I could sit and make out a whole editorial calendar for the whole year, all by myself. And then I could put all that out and it could flop because it just, isn't good or it doesn't resonate or I don't have credibility, right? Putting that stuff out there progressively helps me sharpen my point of view, helps me build that credibility, and it helps me test without having to have this huge investment. So that's the biggest thing is that ability to get that real-time feedback, the ability to iterate, the ability to invest a small amount of time and sometimes money before you do that huge investment that if you just are sitting there planning, you could invest you know, hours and weeks and thousands of dollars without actually getting any valuable feedback. I love, by the way, that you build a lot in public on LinkedIn. Um, you've tested things like the scheduling feature and a lot of other things that have 
I mean, you know how I feel about me not getting my features, but you know, like if, if, if you would have, you didn't, if you would have come out and published like, oh, it was awful. And my engagement went way down, then you would have saved me like a lot of time. If I ever did get that feature, not that I will, but you, you know what I mean there? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. You're very welcome. Um, I will also argue that you should get the feature so that you can test it for yourself. But again, that's, that's another, maybe that's the unpopular opinion to debunk is that uh, you don't deserve the features. Like, no, she does. <laughs> I mean, they, they could be out to get me who knows there. Um, do you think that people that might be like hesitating a little bit to kind of go out and get them like you've been doing, it might be a lack of confidence or just like they haven't had a lot of good luck, or maybe they're just not deeply knowledgeable enough to pull it off yet. I think there's a couple factors at play. I think the first one is like you mentioned that fear. Um, and I see this a lot. I have started making introductions to people for podcasts. I've had a number of people who are like, how do you do that? I'd love to do that. You know, and I'm like, Hey, I get a lot of requests that I can't take. Um, I would be happy to share if you're interested. And it's so interesting when I find, when I do get something and I make the intro and then they're like, Oh, well, I just don't know if this one is like quite the right one. And I'm like, what are you worried about? And they're like, I just, how long will it take me to prepare? And I'm like, you don't need to prepare. You have 10 years of marketing experience or 20 years of marketing experience. You, you have been preparing for your whole career. And they're like, well, but I need to write out my whole script. I'm like, no, 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 no. You know your stuff, right? And so you can't get good at doing these things until you do more of them. There has to be a first time. There's got to be a first podcast. There's got to be a first live stream. There's got to be a first ad campaign. And so I think that's one piece of it is recognizing that there will be a first. And if you don't just get that out of the way, then you're never going to have a second and a third and a fourth. Right. And so I think that's the first thing is, is being willing to lean into those firsts. I think the second thing to your point about, you know, depth of skills or breadth of skills, I think a lot of people, because, and, and school teaches us this, right? Like, You go, you focus for, you know, one semester, one test on this one thing, and then you get a grade and then you move on. And we don't take an integrated approach to learning. In a lot of cases, especially in larger companies, we don't take an integrated approach to marketing. The email team sits over there. The blog team sits over there. The video team sits over there. The product marketing, like everyone is quite siloed. And so if you get a request that is not your very niche specific thing, it's like, well, I have no skills. I can't do that at all. And it's like, well, okay, do you know the audience? Yes. Do you know distribution? Yes. Do you know the company story? Yes. Do you know the product? Yes. Okay. That's four things that you know a lot about. So really the only thing that's missing is potentially writing on LinkedIn or sharing, you know, hitting the go live button or something like that. Right. And I think that's one thing is having that confidence in the adjacent skills so that you recognize that the only skill deficit you have is just that one new variable. And I think too many people get concerned that they don't have enough adjacent skills and they they just, they don't make the connection between the adjacent skills and the one new skill. And I think that's something where, because I came up more as a generalist slash maybe I'm just a little bit arrogant. I was like, I don't know. I know all these things. This one new thing can't be that hard, right? And so it's like, I was very confident in my adjacent skills so that the only real unknown 
was just that one tiny variable. So those I think are the two things. There's the, the fear in terms of, you know, it's going to be the first thing that's hard. And then there's also kind of that lack of confidence um, or the, the connecting the dots between the adjacent skill set and knowledge and whatever this new endeavor requires. Okay, let's get tactical. If like-minded individuals tuning in want to kind of get their team on board with doing a little bit more of the execution, what would you tell them to kind of motivate um, the team? Yeah, so I would actually say start with yourself first. So anybody can post on LinkedIn, and I know you and I are like all about LinkedIn, but but it's true. Anyone can post on LinkedIn. Anyone can post on Twitter. Um, and so it's like a pretty low barrier to entry. And so I would say just start testing that for yourself, getting in that habit of putting out work that's maybe not fully finished. And you can, I mean, I literally did this on LinkedIn where I was like, nascent idea, right? Or like, help me iterate. Or like, I've been noodling on this, but I don't think it's quite right. You can even caveat it that it's not finished, but I would encourage them to start um, for themselves and for their team. And I'm doing this um, with my own team. We have a very strong internal blogging culture at Atlassian. And so I'm encouraging my team to do a better job of um, writing reflection blogs or retrospective blogs and doing write-ups about the work that they've put out and what they learned so that they get in that habit of sharing their thoughts, reflecting, iterating in a very safe way, because nobody's going to come in and be like, why didn't that work? It's like, guys, we're just trying something like, like, you know, here's what we learned. Right. So I think that's, that's what I would say. Um, and then I think the third thing would be take a look at your plans. I know a lot of people, especially after the holidays are coming into, you know, Q1 planning, take a look at your plans and see, is there anything in there that you have adjacent strengths and skills on the team. So if you're the blog team, you're really good at writing long-form content. And you're like, man, we should do better about, you know, pitching third-party articles. Okay, that feels like something where you don't need to necessarily sit down and plan for six months to find the perfect outlet and craft a perfect, like, maybe just reach out, you know, or if you had customer stories or ask me anything sessions or webinars on your list for Q1. Do you already have the deck? Do you already have the talk track? Do you already have the host? Maybe take a look at what it would look like to deliver that as a live stream on LinkedIn instead of as a webinar on On24, right? Um, so that would be my, my final suggestion is take a look at your plans for the next quarter and see what do you already have skills and strengths in that maybe you can just add a new platform or a new asset type um, as a way to start incrementally making progress toward that, that testing mindset. Wonderful. Thank you. And you, I think you paved the way for a lot of good um, conversations to be having, having too. Um, I want to have you now debunk an unpopular opinion. And it could oh be God. any unpopular opinion that is not actually that unpopular. I think the biggest one that is going around my feed that I just roll my eyes at is that AI writers are going to completely take over all writing jobs, all content marketing jobs. And like, honestly, they might even put the entire marketing profession out of, out of work. And I'm just like, that's, that's not going to happen. Um, <laughs> that's not going to happen. Like it. <laughs> What work are you doing that is so mundane that like it, this stuff is, is it's trained on what's already out there. 
And there's a ton of amazing content already out there for it to be trained on. But ultimately, it's it's riffing on what already exists. The thing that makes humans so unique is that we're freaking creative. We come up with new stuff. Sometimes we invent problems so that just so we can solve them, right? Like yeah. humans like to create things. And I think that, um, you know, yes, there will, there will be a subset of the work that in my opinion, it's like, great. If AI can take that, like, please give that to them, give that to the robots because that frees me up to have the time and space and energy to do the stuff that is uniquely human. So that would be my debunking is, um, I don't think that, you know, chat GPT is going to completely obliterate my entire career. I think, I think I am better than a robot. I do have to ask you, have you played with that yet? So we've started playing around with our team and which I'm very excited about. I have some experimentation to do over the holidays. I will say, um, <laughs> we asked it, one of my teammates asked it to write a, uh, like a, like a product description, um, of Jira software. And so it came back with it. He was like, Oh, that's pretty good. He was like, now write it as a Shakespearean poem. And it was, it was amazing. Um, yeah, it was amazing. It was like, you know, Jira doth move the work forward. And I was like, Oh man, I mean, I would buy Jira if it was a Shakespeare, like maybe this should be our new marketing campaign. So we did, we have internally actually joked of like, maybe we should do like a whole GPT chat GPT generated marketing campaign. But again, our mindset in that it. is not like now we're all going to get fired. Our mindset is like, there's so many interesting things that we could do with this. Um, so I agree. It is very powerful. And it's quite different than the like chatbots that we saw when chatbots were first becoming a thing. And it's this very like Boolean decision tree or Boolean oh, logic. Yeah. I agree that it is not that. But I do think um, I've also seen some of the outputs um, like uh, Dr. Fio DeSoto posted one and she was like, maybe do your fact checks because it was like, she asked it to write a, a bio for her. And the whole time it like referred to her as a he, it like misgendered her. And she was just like, I mean, you can't even get a basic thing. You know, it was like, Dr. Fio DeSoto does this and that. He does this, he does that. And it was just like, no, in fact, I am a woman, so. I cannot help but want to use it a little bit for at least comedy purposes. Like even if it was just in my family or at home, I'm definitely going to be, I mean, so my husband, Danny has been waiting for like 21, 22 months for his Ford Bronco to get here. Um, it has been built now. Um, the delivery date was between today and the 28th, but it hasn't left. Um, it hasn't been updated in a long time. I know he's not getting it in that window. Um, he does check it every day. He calls the dealer every day. Um, he has been for 21 months. Um, and I did have that chat, chat GDP. Um, I asked it to basically rudely tell him why he, why he was not getting one on time. And it, like, I was in tears. It was so funny. That is amazing. Do you know what's really funny though on the opposite side? So I, maybe this is the other reason why I'm so like bearish about that is, um, so my husband's a software engineer and he got one of the Garmin inReach 
devices, which is basically if you're, you know, out in a remote location and something happens, you can like push it and it'll send an SOS and it'll send a message, right? So um, we do kiting, which is like like kiteboarding. So he's frequently out like quite far in the ocean. And so he set wow. this up so that if something happened, um, they would contact me and I could get get help, you know, get them to send a boat. The message that he sent me, it looked like a system generated message. So he sent me a message, but he had formatted it like very specifically and like very, you know, whatever. And so he asked me later, he was like, yeah, did you get my email? And I was like, I mean, I got an email. It wasn't from you. And he was like, who do you think it was from? I was like, well, it was from Garmin. And he was like, what? Garmin sent you an email? He was like, show me your, show me your email. So I pulled up and he's like, I wrote this. You the machine? And I was like, yep. Yep. I, I, he's like, what about this made you think it was a machine? And I was like, well, it literally said like, hello, this is a message to set up the Garmin inReach. And it had like a screenshot and it had like very, but it just, it was so straightforward. I literally thought that it was a system generated message. Oh, I can't get over that. That is funny. Might yeah. be like a the profession kind of kicking in there too. It's like that, that half of the brain that we might not have as much of. Yeah, like there was no fluff. There was no like, hi, wifey, how's it going? BT does. No, very straightforward. Hello, I have set up the Garmin inReach for you. Here is the information that you will need in case of emergency. Well, thank you. Yeah, I mean, I would have well been on your boat there. I wouldn't have thought anything that, I mean, I don't know. If I got a message like that, I definitely would have thought it was generated. Right, thank oh, you. Oh yeah, definitely. So well, you can, you can tell him I'm on your guys. team. You're right. Tell- Tell him I'm team Ashley. You're team <laughs> Ashley. Awesome. Again, and we've brought it all the way back around to team yep. Ashley's on a podcast. I love it. I'm going to, I'm going to be doing, I don't know how I'm going to fit it in yet, but when I'm, when I'm scheduling it out, I'm going to like tie that in. It'll be, it'll be amazing. Um, yes. anyway, my, for the end of it, I want to let people know where they can go, um, to find more Ashley content or just where you're hanging out. I know LinkedIn, um, is there anything else that people should know? Um, I mean, I have a Twitter account for as long as Twitter exists. It's at Ashley Foss. Um, but yeah, LinkedIn is going to be the best place, um, which again, no one is shocked about if they hang out with me and you on the internet. Oh yeah, definitely. Well, thank you for um, joining my show today. I hope to have you back on again one day. I hope that we can do, um, other Ashley fun things together in the future. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Unpopular Opinion. This episode was produced by Audience Ops, a content-led growth agency. If you're looking for help launching a podcast, Audience Ops handles all the legwork so you can focus on providing the subject matter expertise. If you enjoyed this episode, please follow Ashley's show on Spotify, Apple, or YouTube.